Many of us understand that we have walked through some difficult days and the last two months just with the coronavirus has been pretty hard. And uh, one of the questions that you get is where is God in all of this? You know, what is God doing? And I think the best picture is a picture of God uh, weaving a tapestry of our lives, this beautiful tapestry. And if you're familiar with a tapestry, it has two sides of it. And the underside of it, when you look at it, you really just see the knotted ends and the frame edges and it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense on there. But if you can get to the other side, you get to the upper side of that tapestry, then what you see is this beautiful picture that has been designed. God is designing a tapestry in each one of our lives. And he uses different color uh, threads. And sometimes he's using, uh, he's using light and he's using dark. He's using joy and he's using sorrow. And he puts all of these together in our lives. The difficulty is that for us, we're living on the underside of that tapestry which means that really in the midst of the painful circumstances, there's a questioning of really what is God's purpose because all I see are frayed edges and knotted ends. And what I'd love to do is to be able to see the bigger picture, to get around and see what is it that God is actually doing in my life. Uh, this uh, idea of a tapestry was uh, really came to light uh, through a poem that was written. The author, is, we're uncertain, but it was popular, popularized by Corey Tinboom. And Corey Tinboom was a Christian Holocaust survivor from World War II. And let me just read a couple of stanzas from this poem. She says, my life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors, he worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. We keep seeing the underside and we forget that there is this upper side that God is working. Now, in the bigger picture of God's providential care, I believe one of the best books in all the Bible to see this is the book of Ruth. And it is an incredible book and it is filled with so much. Now, first of all, it is just a uh, literary masterpiece. And it is a book that uh, tells an amazing story packed into four chapters. You've got everything from people who have been walking away from God's will and then they come back to God's will. You have got marriage, you've got in-laws, you've got heartbreak. And then all of a sudden you've got a romantic story in it. Woo, if you guys are into romance, this is an incredible story. You got romance and you've got redemption. You've got a shrewd business dealing. And all throughout this book, what you see is kind of the underside of the tapestry. And you see the kind of the raveled edges and the knotted ends. But then you get an occasional peek to the upper end. And you get a little bit of an idea of what God's doing. And then at the conclusion, it's going to blow you away. Because at the conclusion, you get to be able to see the whole tapestry on the upper side. And it all begins to make sense. It's an amazing story. And so uh, we're going to cover one chapter each week. And I don't know, if it was me, I would say, don't miss it. I'd be there each week because it's amazing. Each story, each chapter builds on the next chapter and, uh, and it's just gonna be a beautiful picture. And it's gonna be a beautiful picture for us to understand the bigger 
picture. So if you've got your Bibles, the book of Ruth, it's right between, it's Old Testament, right between Judges and 1 Samuel. It's right between Judges and 1 Samuel. Now, the book of Ruth, let's just walk through it together. And uh, in the very first verse, it says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. Oh, there's just a lot to introduce you right here. It says that, uh, that there was a famine in the land. They were living in Bethlehem. And it's interesting, that name Bethlehem, uh, that town, it means house of bread. And so they were living in the house of bread and there was a famine there. And they ended up leaving to go to try to find really greener pastures. And so they went to a place called Moab, which was about 50 miles away. And it was a man, Elimelech, his wife, Naomi, and their two sons. And they packed their bags and they went to Moab. Now, a couple things uh, to see from this. They were called Epaphrathites. Now, what that means is it, they were like old Bethlehem. They were the aristocracy. They were, that was an old name for Bethlehem. So this is kind of like old money, people that had been there for a long time. Uh, we're, we're here in Vestavia Hills, so it could be like, uh, like old Vestavians. Uh, or maybe old Vestavia, Hillians, I don't know, however you want to pronounce it. But there were people that were grown up in that area. And then they stepped away. But the thing is, they stepped away and went to Moab. Good gracious, why go to Moab? Now, Moab is a place where God had already told Israel, you don't really need to have anything to do with them. Uh, Back a few chapters earlier, when you're looking at uh, the history of, um, uh, of Israel, as they were traveling to the promised land, Moab gave them a hard time. And then later on in the book of Judges, it shows that one of the people from Moab, a leader of Moab, came in, they took them over, and they oppressively ruled them for a number of years. And so they shouldn't have anything to do with them. But you see, what's interesting is it says that this took place in the time of Judges. Now, in the Bible, the book of Judges is a time where there was no king, but uh, God would lift up a person to rule them, and they called him a judge. Could be a man, could be a woman. And uh, what would happen is the people would turn away from God, and then uh, oppression would hit them. Then they would repent, and God would restore them by bringing on a judge. Well, this was written during the time of Judges. And... Um, in the end of Judges, the very last verse of that book, uh, there's a verse that pretty well summarizes exactly what Judges is and what they thought. And this is it. He says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And here's Elimelech in Bethlehem, decides to leave there and in his own eyes, go with what the culture says, just do what you want to do, and he goes to Moab. And he goes to Moab, which is a place where God said, you don't need to be, and the second reason you don't need to be there is they worship foreign gods. And there was a god named Chemosh that they worshiped, and it was, it was so terrible that one of the rituals they had was child sacrifices. And so the abomination for them to move to Moab to a country that's so opposite of everything that God had told them was really a head scratcher. 
Because if there was a famine in Bethlehem, some people would say, well, why don't you just move to another area that worship God? So we went completely outside of God's will. And he went, he took Naomi, and he took his two sons. And so they're settled in and are into, into, uh, into Moab. And then the story picks up. In verse uh, three, it says, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with no uh, sons. And these took Moabite wives, and she was just left, excuse me, and she was just left with her two sons. And these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. And then both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Whoa, it just gets worse. They were there for about 10 years. Uh, their two sons, uh, the first of all, the dad died, and then each one of the sons married Moabite women right there. That was something that, uh, that you know, God would not have been pleased with because they don't want you to be marrying people who are worshiping these other gods. But they married these two Moabite women, and then those two sons died. And so Naomi is here in Moab, and she's lost her husband, she's lost her two sons, and she has her, her two daughter-in-laws. And so while she is um, kind of just looking at life, she feels like that God has really hit her with some body blows. And that has been a mighty difficult time. So while she is processing all of this, what you do is you pick up in verse six. And as she's going through all the process of what do I do, um, she gets news that things have changed in Bethlehem. Look what it says in verse six. It says, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. The Lord had visited her people. Well, she has looked at her life and she says, I left the land of famine. Now I'm over here. I've lost a husband. I've lost two sons. And um, what do I do? Word came to them that the Lord had visited Bethlehem. I love that phrasing on there. You know, what they said was that the famine's been lifted. It says the famine is lifted, there's now bread. Uh, the house of bread has now been restocked, if you want to look at it this way. And said, it's time to return, time to go back, uh, time to go back home. And, um, but they, they said the Lord visited. And, and what they'd done is they'd given the Lord credit for what took place there. They didn't say, hey, the economy turned around. They didn't say the invaders were defended. No, they realized that you can trace everything back to God. And they gave him the honor and the glory to say the Lord visited. And when he visited, the famine was lifted. Well, now she's taking a look here and she says, you know what? Uh, we're going to travel to Bethlehem. And so you can almost see a picture of she and her two daughters visiting the cemetery, looking at the grave sites of each of their husbands. And as they spend those moments together and they shed their tears, then it's time to make their way to Bethlehem. And so they began the journey. And it says in verse seven, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But in verse eight, it says, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house and may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. 
Um, I could see them walking out and they got right there to a crossroads and you head this way to Bethlehem or you head this way back to Moab. And she looked at those two girls and she said, listen, for 10 years, I've been an alien uh, here in Moab. I understand what it's like. And there is no hope for you in Bethlehem. Uh, so why don't you go back to your families? And then she said a prayer for them. She said, may the Lord deal kindly with you. And that word kindly is, is one of the stronger Old Testament words for a, 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 a steadfast love, a faithfulness. And she said, may the Lord be as faithful and loving to you as you have been to us. I mean, these, these daughters-in-laws were great. And she said, you've been wonderful to me. And so may the Lord give you that kindness. And then she said, may the Lord give you rest. May he give you the security of a home. May he uh, help you to find a husband, get married, have a family, and just head on back to your family. So she shares all of that and thought that the both, both those ladies would leave. Well, it says, it says, then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. So they're crying because they're getting ready to go. But then the surprise hits in verse 10. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. Well, Naomi's thinking, this is not a good idea. You don't need to return to our people. So now she doubles down and she begins to turn the heat up on it. And in verse 11, it says, but Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back my daughters, go your way for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say, I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night, and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore <laughs> refrain from marrying? And they said, no, you don't want to do that. Now, what she was talking about is there was, uh, there was something that was handed down in the Old Testament law called a Leverite marriage. And what a Leverite marriage meant is that uh, if, if a woman and a man were married and the man died and they did not have any children, then the brother was to marry her. The brother of the man that died was to marry her. And then if she had any offspring, it would preserve the name of her first husband. And that's what's called Leverite marriage. And this is what Naomi's thinking. She says, hey, I don't have any other sons and I'm really too old to have children, but let's say if some miracle happened, are you going to wait another 16, 17, 18 years, whatever? And then whenever that child's born, then you're going to, to marry that one? She says, no. Logically, it makes absolutely no sense. And then, just as she's giving him something very logical, and she kind of drops the hammer down on him. And, uh, and the last thing that she says over here, would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughter, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. That the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. What she is telling them is um, that she believed that the Lord had brought all this calamity on her. And uh, they don't really need to be connected to her. It's almost as if she's got a divine jinx. And <laughs> she said, you don't want to be with me. I was in Bethlehem. There's a famine. I moved to Moab. My husband dies. My sons get married. Don't have any, they don't have any children. And then each one of the sons die. And so now it's just me and these daughters-in-laws. And I think God's got an end for me. And y'all just need to step away from me. 
And what was happening is, is that she kept looking at the back side, that uh, underside of the tapestry. And that underside of the tapestry didn't look very pretty at all. And it sure didn't make any sense. And so she could not figure out why God was doing all of this. And, um, and she told them, you just don't need to be with me. Last thing you want to do, you want to be connected to someone who's like a divine jinx over here. And it's best for you to go on and return. And so she, she thought that um, you say that and the girls will be, will be packing. And so she tells them this. Uh, and then it says they lifted up their voices and they wept again. You see? And they wept again. There's a whole lot of crying uh, going on during this time. And so they were weeping again. But sure enough, one of them peeled off. And it said, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Okay. One left, one stuck around. So she comes back in verse 15 and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods return after your sister-in-law. Now there's a key word in there, after her gods. She said, listen, your sister-in-law's gone and she's gone back home and she's returned to her gods. But you know, Ruth hung on. And I think we're, we all want to come back to that statement in just a moment uh, because I, I, think, I think we're gonna learn some things from that. Well, then Ruth in verses 16 and 17 gives an amazing two verses of scripture. And when you put it all in context, it, it is incredible. Now, I want to step aside for just a moment and talk about these two verses because um, there are many of you that are watching right now that uh, when I read these two verses, you had these in your wedding ceremony. Yeah, years ago, this would be a part of wedding vows. And scary to say, I, I Googled it earlier this week, and apparently they still use this in some wedding vows. So I want to warn you on this. Uh, I'm going to read this to you, and it's beautiful language out of the King James Version. And this is probably in your wedding vows. And uh, if you're watching this, and this was in your wedding vows, just take a big smile, raise your hand, put your arm around your wife, if, or tell your kids, yes, this was in ours. And, and listen to what she said. Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Oh, such sweet words. And... Uh, but I just, I hate to be the guy to be the bearer of bad news. This was not a husband to a wife. This was a pledge to a mother-in-law. And so if you are using these vows, you're pledging your allegiance to your mother-in-law. You know, it's interesting. Uh, all the weddings I've done in, uh, in over 30 years, uh, sometimes I'd remember this passage and say, do you want to include this? If you do, it'll be a pledge to your mother-in-law. I've not had one taker. <laughs> no one has said, add that, add that to my vows on there. It is beautiful words. But when you put it in context, it's even more incredible because she is sharing this with her mother-in-law. And when you look at what she says, it is pretty powerful. She goes back, she's looking at her, and she says, don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. You don't need to say anything more. I'm, I'm staying with you. She says, for where you go, I will go. Where you go, I'll go. 
Uh, if you're going to go to Bethlehem, I'm going to Bethlehem. For where you lodge, I will lodge, and your people will be my people. Where you lodge, I will. Wherever you stay is where I'm going to stay. What she said is, I'm going to take care of you. Now listen, she's leaving Moab to go to a town, a, a city that she doesn't know anyone. She's going to be a Moabite going into Bethlehem, and people really aren't going to like her. She has just pledged that she's going to spend the rest of her life taking care of a bitter old woman. Because Naomi is just a bitter old woman. And she said, I'll take care of you. Your people will be my people. I will learn the customs. And your God will be my God. Your God will be my God. Part of the reason she didn't want to go back to Moab, she didn't want to go back to the false God. She wanted to stay with the God of Israel and the one that she had learned from uh, over here. And, uh, and we're going to, and we're going to talk about that one in just a second. But then she says, and where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. So she says, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to take care of you all the way till the day that you die. And when you die, I'm going to continue to live here in Bethlehem. And then when I die, they're going to bury me right next, right next to you. This was a strong commitment. And Ruth was willing to step away from her land, her family, her culture, the false gods, in order to go to this new place to Bethlehem. And she made that commitment. And she says, your God is my God. Some believe this was her conversion experience. Others believe that she'd already made the decision and she was just reiterating, I will follow your God. And this is amazing because Naomi is in a really bitter place right now. She's in a bad spot to where there's a lot of bitterness and there's a lot of, of almost yelling at God and uh, saying, I don't understand why all this has happened to me. And so while she's looking at the backside of that tapestry, in, even in the midst of that, she is pointing to the sovereignty of God because she still understands that it's the Lord and it's the Almighty God who is sovereign. And in the midst of watching Naomi's life, maybe even watching her husband's life when she was married uh, to him before he died, um, she saw what it was to have this relationship with God and she made her decision and, uh, and she said, I'm not turning back. I'm going to follow you. Well, after she said that, verse 18, in verse 18, and when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no mas, <laughs> kind of a Roberto Duran thing. That's just for you guys, just to stay awake, make sure you're still with me on there. But she said, no more, no more. I'm not doing any more. Uh, we're fine, let's take the journey. 50 mile journey, coming back in to Bethlehem. So now when they began to take this journey, uh, she comes into, into Bethlehem. And so what kind of response did they get? Verse 19 says, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, to, said Can this be Naomi? That was stirred. Now, okay. You check different commentaries. People try to figure out what this word stirred meant. And there's two different directions you can go. One is it's a word that means agitated consternation. The other means a delightful excitement. Uh, the more I read it, I look more towards the consternation part. Um, you know, they left 
which that had to cause a lot of concern for people. And they were gone for 10 years and they went to a godless land. And there has to be a little bit of yin-yang talking, a little bit of gossiping going along. And all of a sudden when she comes back, I could see that those wagging tongues started picking up over there. And then when they came and even asked the question about, is this not Naomi? Is this Naomi? She had changed so much. I mean, because now she's just a woman who is bitter and that bitterness can just change who you are. Uh, when I read this, uh, I would go back to that movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And if you ever saw It's a Wonderful Life, uh, you know there came that time when George Bailey was to uh, see what life was like if he had never been born. And you remember when he went back to his house and he knocked on the door and Ma Bailey came to the door? Just picture her face. You remember? She was one that was just, it was bitter, it was harsh. And, and that's kind of what happened to Naomi. And I think a lot of people are saying, is this really Naomi? Good gracious, she looks so different. And she did look different because she had just taken the body blows of life and it had just beaten her up. And so here they are, they bring her in. And when they bring her uh, into town, she quickly corrects him on some things. And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Don't call me Naomi, that name means pleasant. You call me Mara, which means bitter. You call me bitter. And then she comes in verse 21. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. I went away full and the Lord brought me back empty. When I went away, I had a husband and I had two sons. Now all of a sudden I've come back and all I'm bringing back is 10 years of pain and hurt and I'm empty. Just got to tell you, I don't know what that does for Ruth who's standing right next to her because she's really not actually empty. <laughs> she brought Ruth with her, but she didn't even mention that. She just talked about everything else and just walked away. And uh, she's going through a rough stretch. She's going through a rough stretch. Is Naomi a believer? Yeah, she is a believer. And she's a believer because she still understands who God is. Because if you look the rest of that verse, when she says, why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? The Lord, that is Jehovah. That is the self-existent creator God. He said, Jehovah has testified against me. And then she uses a second name for God, Shaddai, Almighty, powerful God. And she says, the Almighty, powerful God has brought calamity upon me. She understood God. She, I mean, she had a relationship with him, but she was at a point to where um, she was really yelling and screaming at him and was angry at him. And there's no, no worry with that. Sometimes we look at the back of that tapestry and all we see is the knotted ends and the, and the, raveled un, and the raveling edges on there. It, um, it just causes you some consternation. And this is where she was. But yet she still understood that God was sovereign but, um, but she's just going through a difficult patch there. And um, so they move back into Bethlehem. And as they come in, uh, our hope is that she'll see the bigger picture. And what's interesting is, is we do get a little bit of a peek of that bigger picture. So let me leave you with these four things about the bigger picture. Um, the bigger picture, when you look through these 22 verses, is this. Number one, fixation on the underside clouds the reality of the upper side. One more time, fixation on the underside clouds the reality of the upper side. 
Her view of God's sovereignty was skewed because she saw only God's power without his pity. She saw sovereignty without sympathy, and she saw justice without grace. She saw herself as the bullseye at the center of God's cosmic target. And so she interpreted love, her, her love, uh, or God's love for her, she interpreted God's love for her by the circumstances rather than interpreting the circumstances through the lens of God's love. And so it clouded her view and she could not see the bigger picture. She couldn't see the other side of the tapestry because she was so fixated on, on the underside of that tapestry. And when she said, just call me bitter, during that day, your name represented your character and it just engulfed her and she was bitter. And that fixation on the underside clattered her vision of the reality of the upper side. The second point that we see out of the bigger picture is this, pain and suffering have meaning. Pain and suffering have meaning. It is the person who can call God the Almighty, who can, what we call, read the second story that God is writing or see the other side of the tapestry. This is the person who sees that in God's providence, he permits pain and earthly suffering. But faith is God's assurance that another side of our pain is there and that in his love, even the pain and suffering will have meaning. From the underside, it doesn't make any sense. But when we can get to the other side of it and we see the bigger picture, we then begin to understand the meaning of this pain and this suffering. Listen, Naomi is sure about three things. She knows that God exists, she knows that God is sovereign, and she knows that God has afflicted her. But she's forgotten the fourth thing, and that is that God can turn tragedy into triumph. A beautiful picture of that is Joseph uh, found in the book of, of Genesis. And uh, it's a long story, and I don't have that long to tell it to you. But uh, bottom line is, Joseph uh, was one of, of 12 brothers. His father showed favoritism to him. Uh, the brothers didn't like it. Uh, he came to check on them one day. They beat him up, threw him in a pit. Uh, didn't know what to do with him. They ended up deciding to sell him to some traders who were traveling by. They took this beautiful coat that his, God had, had, uh, that his father had bought for him, uh, killed an animal, put blood on it, ran back home, told his dad that some wild animal had killed Joseph. In the meantime, the traders take him to Egypt. Uh, they sell him there as a slave, and he gets into prison. And he's in prison. He does a good job, gets, uh, gets uh, kind of elevated to be over a, uh, uh, an important official's house. His wife is trying to uh, get after him and uh, wants him to lay with her, and he fights off her advances. So she makes false accusation uh, that he had tried to make an advance, which he didn't, so they threw him back in jail. Bottom line, he was in jail for about 13 years total. But all of a sudden, there came some dreams that Pharaoh had that he couldn't figure out, and God had given Joseph that ability to interpret those dreams. And he goes, interprets the dreams, and talks about there'll be seven years of plenty, then seven years of famine. And Pharaoh looks up and says, we need to get someone in charge of all this, so we're going to take Joseph. And so he goes from the pit to the palace, and now he's number two in command. And, uh, and it's incredible. And because of what he did, he saved not only Egypt, but also Israel, because they had to come to Egypt in order to get that food. <clears throat> Beautiful story story of when his brothers came and uh, finally they realized who he was and they were always nervous thinking that uh, when their dad died that uh, Joseph would just take it out on them because of uh, how poorly they treated him. 
But he tried to put their fears at ease. And in Genesis chapter 50, uh, verse 20, it says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Listen, there is meaning in our pain and in our suffering. And even though the underside of the tapestry is looking mighty difficult, we need to remember that there is an upper side and that as God is weaving our lives together, there is meaning. And just look to the life of Joseph to give you that confirmation. Number three is this, is that God is with us in the midst of our pain. God is with us in the midst of our pain. Um, Naomi never stopped believing in God and his mighty power. She talked about the Lord uh, when she was in Moab, when she was talking to the two, two girls and talked about, may the Lord do this, may the Lord do that. And then as soon as she got to Bethlehem, she continued. She talked about Lord Jehovah. She talked about Shaddai. She never uh, lost her understanding and her belief in God. And the presence of God was with her wherever that she was. And so God is with us in the midst of our pain. Many of us know the story of Rick and Sherry Burgess and, um, and in the death of their young son, Bronner. And, uh, and when Bronner died and as they processed through all of this, uh, people would ask Sherry uh, uh, many times and they would say, so tell me, Sherry, where was God when Bronner died and as you've been in the midst of this pain and suffering? And uh, with total confidence, she loves to look at people and say, God was right in the middle of it. He was right in the middle of it. You see, God is with us in the midst of our pain. And the very last thing is this, God is always providing fresh starts and new opportunities. God is always providing fresh starts and new opportunities. Okay, you have spent 21 verses going through the backside of that tapestry. And then verse 22, just look at what he says. So Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. At the beginning of barley harvest. As we're closing out chapter one, we're gonna give you a peek to see the upper side of the tapestry. And what God lets us see is she left in famine, but she came back in harvest. And the barley harvest has just begun. And it is like a little peek into God saying, I'm weaving this together and some good stuff is getting ready to happen. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are when you think about a tapestry that's being uh, woven for your life. Uh, you may be living to, to where everything is going so great and all the strands are, are gold and silver that are going through your tapestry. But there's some of you and probably the majority of us who have got a lot of dark threads that have been going through it. <clears throat> and there's a lot of sorrow and there's some hurt and, uh, and there's some misunderstanding and there's just some questions, some things we don't understand. For some, you're not even a believer in God. And so we would love to encourage you to come into a right relationship with him and begin to see the tapestry that he's, he's um, weaving in your life. But there's others of you who you are believers. You know Christ as Savior. Uh, you've trusted him. You've followed him. But you know what? This has just been a tough patch for you. And all you can do is see the backside, the underside of that tapestry. 
And if you described your life, it would be the edges that were, that were fraying on the end, and it would be the knots that were unraveling, and it just wouldn't make sense to you. And what I would encourage you to do is uh, right now, you can, as you're watching us on the screen, uh, you can go right to your right-hand side, and it says Live Pray. You can go to Live Pray, click that. We have people that want to talk to you and pray with you, just to be someone that can help you walk through it. And what our goal is, is not that we're gonna be able to solve all the problems as to what you're in. We just wanna give you some hope and help you to be able to see on the other side and to get a glimpse of maybe what God is doing in weaving together this beautiful picture of your life. Uh, if you're not watching this live, then you can, uh, you can email us uh, at, at uh, pray at shades.org and we'll be glad to get with you. So uh, don't walk through these times alone, okay? We'll be glad to walk along with you. So I hope that today that uh, you get a better understanding of the bigger picture as to what God has in store for us. So I invite you to um, take uh, just a few more moments. We're going we're to have another song. We'll have some time of worship. Uh, but before we do, uh, let me just pray for you. And as soon as I pray, uh, we'll close out in a time of worship. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and that uh, the realization that everything doesn't always work out uh, great in our human understanding. And Lord, we live on the underside of the tapestry. And I pray that each one of us today, that we would seek your face and you would give us a peek around the upper side of that tapestry to get a better understanding of what you are doing in our lives. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Hope you have a great week.